Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast and thank you for joining us for our bite-sized podcast. I loved the conversation I had with Professor Laura Cray. Uh, Laura is a professor at the um, Haas School of Business at the University of California at Berkeley. She's an expert on the role of gender stereotypes and mindsets about gender on workplace behaviour, including negotiations and leadership and ethical decision-making. Um, in 2008, she founded the Women's Executive Leadership Program at Berkeley, and as an alumni, I highly recommend this program. We had an amazing conversation, and we talked about so many different things, about the backlash in asking for raises, the B word, um, women as pushovers, difficult, not quite this, not quite that, and never able to find the acceptable middle ground. Does that sound familiar? Thank you for joining, and I really hope you enjoy the conversation. So there you are, you're teaching negotiation. How did that path lead you, um, you know, more broadly to where you are today, where there's a real gender lens on all of that? Yeah, so um, it's sort of a funny story because, you know, so, you know, kind of broader background information about me is I grew up in a family with um, four girls and all within six years of each other. And I'm the third in line. And so, you know, my mom and dad, very traditional, you know, sort of, intact family, my dad, you know, the breadwinner, but because I didn't have brothers and there were so many of us, you know, girls around, I, I just, I had no awareness whatsoever of like gender being an issue, you know, out there. And, you know, some of my friends who grew up with brothers, they'd say, well, he got to stay out this late and I had to be home by this time. And I just didn't have any experience with any of that. So mm -hmm. it wasn't even on my radar at all to think about gender. And, um, and it was actually a student in the class the very first time I taught it where, you know, a lot of the textbook learning about negotiations is about these heuristics and biases and, you know, people can be overconfident or, um, you know, anchoring on a particular reference point without considering other reference points. And so it's just very, you know, sort of, this is how the brain works and this is how we interact with other people. And a, a woman in the class raised her hand and said, you know, Professor Cray, could you, um, this is all well and good what you're teaching us, but I'm just curious, what difference does gender make? <laughs> I was like deer caught in the headlight because I literally hadn't thought about it. I'm, you know, embarrassed to say, um, but it was also part of the zeitgeist of the time because you know, so what did I do in that moment? I said, that's a great question. Here's what I'm going to ask you all to do. I want to know what you think the role of gender is. So I'm going to give you a homework assignment and I want you to write an essay on the role of gender and I will compile it and we'll have a conversation about this in the next class. So I stalled effectively. And then after the class, I, you know, have a number of colleagues around who were mentors and experts in negotiation. So I did go up to one of my um, male mentors, a very famous negotiation scholar. And I said, you know, do you ever get this question? Like, what do you, how do you, how do you answer it? And his answer was, I say, that's not an interesting question. No. <laughs> And I was like, hmm, okay. Um, and, you know, I think I just knew intuitively what he didn't finish saying is it's not an interesting question to me. Yes. Right. And so from there, I thought, hmm, I think it, you know, so then we compiled the data from the class and found that, you know, basically there's a stereotype that exists 
that suggests, you know, people think that men are better negotiators than women. And right around that time, uh, Claude Steele, who actually was the first psychologist I ever took a undergraduate social psychology class with at Michigan, he had since moved to Stanford and he was doing this great work on stereotype threat, mm -hmm. which is this idea that when you are um, a member of a negatively stereotyped group, whether it be, you know, women in math, here we have women in negotiations, you can, you know, racial stereotypes about academic achievement, just being, knowing that that stereotype exists can create a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because yeah. in that moment of, let's say, let's say we're talking about gender and math, here I am taking the really difficult math exam that's going to get me into a top graduate program. If I'm in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I know women can't do this, or people think women can't do this. At a minimum, it's taking up some of my cognitive energy, right? My working memory capacity is being stressed so that instead of just focusing on the math problem in front of me, I'm thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, sort of um, choke and I'm going to prove this stereotype correct. And so that in and of itself can lower my expectations. It can, you know, lead women to give up more easily. So, you know, there's this dynamic and I was able to show in laboratory experiments that, you know, when people, when you put men and women into a negotiation and you subtly, you know, sort of say either, you know, this is it, this is the negotiation that's going to prove your worth and, you know, predict how you're going to do in all future negotiations, you know, raise the stakes where the pressure is really on. That's where you get women settling for less than their male counterparts. But when that message is not elevated, right? When you say you're going to do this identical negotiation and this is a learning tool, it's a way to get experience, men and women do identically. So, wow. so there's something about the power of the stereotype. And, you know, obviously once you get into a negotiation, you have to ask yourself, well, where's the difference coming from? Are women not trying as hard? Are, are men, you know, sort of pushing harder? What's going on in the high stakes situation? And because we were able to capture before they actually went into the negotiation, what are your aspirations? We could see that just raising the stakes where this stereotype is in the air, lowers women's aspirations. So what do people do? What do people do with that in, in sort of practical terms? Well, it's, you need to be aware that this is, you know, an additional burden that you're shouldering and then counteract it, right? So there's a whole host of, you know, sort of techniques that um, practices, you know, sort of hacks, so to speak, that you can engage in before to psych yourself up. And one of them that's very effective is just called self-affirmation, right? So just connecting with, you know, what are your core values, right? And so if I, before I go into this high pressure negotiation over, you know, salary or what have you, I'm going to remind myself that, you know, the most important value in life for me is integrity, is, you know, sort of um, truth. And so, and it doesn't matter what it is. It could be my most important value is friendships, and, you know, connecting to people. My most important value is, you know, economic gain, whatever it is, just reminding yourself of what that value is um, provides a buffer against the threat 
in, in the environment against mm. psychological threats. So that's one example. And then another example that we actually showed in one of our first studies along these lines is if you say, well, you know, to be a good negotiator, you need to be rational and assertive and, you know, have a high regard for your own interest. People can fill in the blanks and say, well, those are stereotypically masculine traits, right? And that can trigger stereotype threat as well. But if we add on to that, oh, by the way, men and women, you know, people think men and women differ on these characteristics. That is what, that can trigger what we call stereotype reactance. And that can actually be a good thing for women where they say, wait a second, you know, you, that may be, you know, you may think that's true of women, but it's certainly not true of me. It's the, I'll show you effect, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, and, and I hesitate to say that because certainly we don't want to go around endorsing negative stereotypes, but, you know, some of Angela Duckworth's research on grit is this idea. I mean, even Michelle Obama, you know, would talk about how that motivation to like prove you wrong, like your low expectations of me can actually, you know, sort of give people that uh, stamina and, and will to overcome the negative stereotype ask you um just staying on these themes um one of the things about negotiation that really interested me and and I hear people talk about it in practical terms a lot that as a female if you're going in to advocate on behalf of others um the outcomes are very strong if you're going in to advocate on behalf of yourself less so That can, I mean, there, there's some, there's some research that speaks to that. Um, I, yeah, so it's, it's certainly harder for women to go in asking for a raise for themselves than to say, you know, here's my team member who's underpaid and here's why he or she deserves a raise. And that's just consistent with gender stereotypes and gender roles and how we've been socialized where women are supposed to be, you know, taking care of other people. They're not supposed to be self-interested. And so when women are advocating on their own behalf, it can certainly be more pressure filled, right? So, you know, maybe that creates stereotype threat. It can certainly, and it also can evoke backlash, right? Where the other side has a negative reaction and says, you know, this woman is difficult or, you know, I don't want to work with her. So those are, you know, sort of tricky, um, you know, tricky problems. What are the typical, um, you know, kind of uh, gender labels that you see sort of placed on women? What would you call out? Um, well, I mean, certainly backlash is, you know, oftentimes the the b word right like you know she's a you know what and um and you know that women are uh you know pushovers that women are um you know either pushovers are difficult right it's you can't it's the goldilocks right she's not quite this she's not quite that you can't quite find you know the acceptable middle ground if if you're a woman so um those are those are you know real and also i guess in my own experience and in in the teaching that i do we also have to remember that some of the, the that pushback is fleeting right it's it's you know 
it's really valuable to have thick skin. Not that I want to put the onus on women to, you know, kind of have to shoulder these burdens on their own, but, um, it's also, you know, you have to be prepared, right? Just like any man or a woman, here are the facts, here are the numbers, here are the comparables, here's what my next best alternative is. And, you know, you need to go in, you know, having practiced this and, and, you know, with a sense of determination and also certainly appealing to the other side, right? It can't just be one-sided, give me this, give me this. It has to be, you know, framed in such a way that makes clear to the other side how it's also in their interest. Is there research on that voice? <laughs> well, definitely. I mean, the voice, you know, the voice isn't, I mean, there may be individual differences in terms of the narrative that we tell ourselves, but we have to remember like we are social beings. That voice by and large is coming to us through our culture, right? And and subtly, often below the level of conscious awareness. So we think it's like, oh, this voice must be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think we all need to, you know, teach our daughters and, and everybody really to, you know, keep a journal. If you, I mean, that, that's the best, right? Just keep the journal with, this is what she said to me, you know, not, you know, and that way one day you will have all the evidence in front of you where you're like, and then you can share that with somebody who's junior to you. Right. And, and say, you know, you have to, you can't, I mean, you have to have a healthy detachment from other people's feedback. Feedback is great, but sometimes feedback is you have to have that own, you know, your own sense of discernment Mm. and truth. And we, can we talk about the um, the women's um, executive leadership program that I was uh, incredibly lucky to be able to attend virtually. Um, I had every intention of coming face to face and unfortunately uh, things conspired against us over the last 12 months. Tell me how that program, you know, where did, where did it come from and, and what's it all about? Yeah, um, so, you know, again, one of my main areas of research and teaching is negotiation, but, um, you know, I was teaching executives early on in my career, and, you know, it's more more often than not a room of, let's say, 80% men, and um, as I was more, you know, becoming more and more interested in this topic of gender as it relates to negotiation, I found almost that I was almost apologetic about bringing it up like to the class and and trying to introduce it and have a discussion around gender because again it's this denial and disinterest that you know men as a group have traditionally you know you say gender and they everybody thinks woman you know it's about women where it's actually about men and women Um, or you say feminism and people think bias Yes. right? Like not rigorous. Right. And so I'm just, but I'm trying to have a serious conversation. And even though in the negotiations, you know, literature and training, I mean, the idea of like cross-cultural negotiations, which is like people, this group of people who are this way and this group of people who are this way, you know, people love that, but somehow gender was like, I, yeah, I couldn't quite work it in edgewise. And so that's when I said, I know that people like there's an audience for this. And so we need to create something that um, allows these conversations to happen. And so then I, you know, also thinking more broadly, it's not just about negotiations, it's about networking, it's about social influence, it's about leadership styles. And so I basically ran through my Rolodex of, you know, top 
faculty at Berkeley who, you know, by and large are also research faculty. So I wanted it to be evidence-based, science-backed, cutting edge, and, you know, put this program together of a four-day experience. And, you know, when we first started it, it was, um, you know, we had to build demand, right? And yeah. so it would be like, okay, maybe there's some women on campus who are staff who wanna, you know, attend. And, you know, we practiced, we made mistakes, we, you know, sort of refined it. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, I guess 13 years now, and it's just the most delightful experience to have people from around the globe um, coming, you know, multiple times a year and really just hunkering down and, you know, trusting us and learning from each other. And, you know, just, I forget because, you know, this is what I do and this is the research that I, I do. So I'm, I know how much, you know, gender bias is out there, et cetera. So it's really amazing to me when, you know, women come to this and often with trepidation and I don't know if I want to be in a women's program as opposed to how's women's leadership different. And I say, these are all leadership skills that are important for everybody, but it tends, you know, we need to carve out the space to talk about gender. And um, it's just amazing to see women, quite successful women in their careers who we've all had these same, you know, sort of gender-based experiences where really for the first time, some of them are realizing that this is not personal. Mm. You know, this is something that transcends all of us and it's structural, it's, you know, baked into the system. And although that can be a rude awakening and, you know, sort of depressing on one level, it's also liberating because it's, again, it's not personal. It's not about you. It's about, you know, society and, we have to stay in the game. We have to be knowledgeable and we have to, you know, get our, get our game, game on, you know, to, uh, to navigate these obstacles. And then we need to strengthen our desire for leadership so that when we are in positions where we can affect change, we know what to do and we're ready to act. Yeah, that's very powerful. And it's interesting, um, you know, what you said about people realising maybe for the first time how structural so much of this is, including the mindset, including that voice and where that's kind of come from. Um, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's the first time they sit back and question that um, even the fact that I'm saying to myself, you're not good enough or you can't do this or people don't, um, people don't do those things, all of that has come from a structural place yeah well absolutely. yeah right I mean it's what you know it's an accumulation of experiences and you know sort of how we have been treated how you know any shortcomings have been interpreted and um yeah so you know as you know a big um sort of theme that's woven throughout the program is one of growth mindset and, you know, this is Carol Dweck's theory about, you know, believing that people can change, right? And it's so powerful, not just because, oh, you know, keep your chin up and, and stay positive and things can get better, but also because it fundamentally changes, you know, kind of how we are and how we experience vulnerability. Mm. And, um, 
so, you know, for me, like teaching is something that, I mean, I'm more introverted actually. And so standing in front of a room of people and kind of um, having to command the room that that's intimidating to me. And it always has been, and it, it hasn't always gone well. Right. And so, but I can, you know, through the growth mindset, I know, and I, okay, well, if I don't take control of the situation and work to improve it, then, you know, it's, it's just going to be more painful. It's not going to be enjoyable. And here are the things that people do to, you know, get constructive feedback and, um, and talking to, you know, more senior people, you know, who've been, who've been through the same experience and learning about how they, you know, sort of, um, worked to hone their skill. And, you know, it reminds me of just very recently, a, a, a student of mine, a doctoral student, um, you know, we got a, we got feedback on a manuscript that we submitted to a journal. And some of the feedback was, you know, quite harsh. And, you know, you didn't do this and la la la. And, you know, it's just the, the, the nature of the beast, right? But this was one of her first experiences with this. And, and she said, you know, I don't know if I'm suited for academia. Maybe I should just wrap up and, you know, go into an industry job. And, and I said, you know, I'll support you whatever path you want to choose, but don't make that decision based on just this feedback. I'm like, do you want to see, I can dig up some letters I've gotten. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, the way it is. So it helps, you know, so the growth mindset is actually enables people to be more um, open with mistakes they've made in the past or, you know, sort of challenges that they have faced and it gets better and here's how you do it. And, you know, after whatever, you know, your mechanism is for dealing with, you know, critical feedback, whether it be, you know, taking a yoga class, having a glass of wine with friends, whatever it is, you need to have those tools in place. And again, not internalize it. This is not feedback about whether you're a good person, whether you're a good scientist, whether, you know, you have what it takes. Okay. So, uh, 2017, um, an article changing the narrative women as negotiators and leaders. Yeah. How do we define masculine and feminine leadership traits in the first place? When people use that kind of language, what are we talking about? Well, masculine being very assertive, risk-taking, you know, um, high regard for, you know, self-interest and um, not willing, you know, willing to go in and, and tussle and, you know, sort of um, be hard charging. I think that's a stereotypically masculine way of, of negotiating. And, you know, in a, in a fixed pie world, right, if we have you know, a hundred dollar bill that we're trying to divide up between the two of us. If I'm, you know, pushy and intimidating and, you know, just stubborn, I probably will get more than 50, $50 of it. You know, it's in a very short term sort of zero sum way, but we know that negotiating, that's just a very small part of what negotiating and negotiating is also about growing the pie, finding opportunities to make, you know, sort of good trade-off so that we can get to win-win and we both walk away with something that is important to us. And so these integrative negotiating skills require openness, you know, curiosity, asking the right questions. Um, and so some of my work actually has flipped that stereotype on its head of what it means to be a good negotiator, which people often think of 
these masculine traits and said, you know, good negotiators have good listening skills, are verbally communicative, are, you know, open. Just telling people that and then putting men and women into the identical negotiation that we did in those other studies, women actually outperform men. They claim more of the value when they're more confident going into it because those traits resonate with them because mm. it's a stereotype about, you know, feminine skills. You know, I, I hate to be like men are this way and women are this way. So we can say even as a stereotype and we don't even have to connect it to gender, you know, that when, when you frame negotiation in those terms, which anybody who teaches negotiations is going to tell you, those are in fact traits that are very important. Then women are like, I can do this. Right. Mm. Gender deafness. So the women being the, the only voice in the room and not being listened or heard, you know, that, that whole concept, um, it, it's real. Um, so, I mean, has your research shown up any ways that women can deal with that? Well, I mean, it's hard, right? I mean, so some of it is, um, you know, related to, you know, ethical standards and, you know, sort of taking into account, you know, again, more than just this short term, we want to, you know, get in and get as much as we possibly can. We also want to create a relationship. We want future business. We want to have, you know, good reputation. So we get referrals, right? So this concern for everybody at the table is something that uh, just at a young age, on average, women have been socialized to pay more attention to. Part of it is just because we operate within a hierarchy, a social hierarchy, a gender hierarchy, and women tend to be, you know, lower status and lower power. And so we're going to be more vigilant to, you know, sort of other people and, and what effect these actions are having on them. And so that's actually, you know, so the example we use in that article is about Sally Krawcheck in um, City, Citibank. And, you know, she tried speaking up at, you know, around the 2008 financial crisis. They'd done, you know, sort of a deal with, clients that ended up losing them a bunch of money. And she argued that, you know, the clients had sort of been misled and that they should, they deserved a refund. And at that time, you know, no one would listen to her and she, you know, was sort of stripped of her, of her duties. And it was, you know, kind of a, a tragic ending, but she's now gone on to create, you know, women-centered investment company. And she's a very vocal sort of um, advocate uh, for women in finance and, and business. So, you know, I think there's a happy ending to it, but, um, you know, I think it's about, I mean, in my own life, right, like trying to remind people of, not, let's just not focus on what the upside gains are to taking this risky strategy, but what are the potential downside losses? And is there an alternative that's better? Right. And sometimes, you know, you have to, you know, kind of say, wait a second, let's, let's think through this and not just focus on, you know, sort of confirming, you know, what we hope to be true, but also considering, you know, do we want to be on the front page of the newspaper? Do we want um, this to get out, you know, in the marketplace more generally and, and advocating for a more cautious and, you know, again, integrative approach. You know, I don't think you're going to convince people to say, give up your profits, right, in favor for, so, for someone else. But again, through this negotiation mindset of 
win-win is possible. We can expand the pie. There are other ways to grow our business in ways that we can also, you know, strengthen our relationship with these other parties. It was talking about um, that there were six out of 15 females and a lot of commentary around, um, you know, the, the, the dynamics really changed in terms of the um, collaboration and, and those sorts of things. And I guess the change when females left and the, and the balance that people actually called that change out. Um, yeah, and that's, you know, a nice, you know, sort of real world example of how, again, because of how we're socialized, um, having women at the table changes the dynamics at the table. Mm -hmm. And so there's some actual like sort of experimental evidence of this as well, laboratory-based work by Anita Woolley at Carnegie Mellon. And what she found, you know, she was studying what she called collective intelligence, right? So is there something, is there a property that emerges in teams that is, you know, some teams are just fundamentally, you know, more quote intelligent than other teams. And, you know, obviously it's not just about adding up the IQ of every person at the table, but is there a way in which teams operate that sets them up for success across a variety of different domains, whether it be negotiation, moral dilemma, brainstorming task, you know, you name it. And she did in fact find that some teams were better than others and what the property was of the teams boiled down to how they interacted together. And so teams that on average did better, no matter what you threw at them, they did better because they had more equal participation of turn-taking. Uh -huh. So if there are five people in the, at the team, you know, on average, each person was speaking about 20% of the time. Whereas teams that did worse, you know, had five people on the team, but two people were doing 60 to 80% of the speaking. And one of the best predictors of this equal participation is the number of women at the, at the table. Wow. There's some really important stuff for leaders to be really digesting. Um, and, you know, I can think of all the people after they've seen this interview going into their workplace and kind of timing. <laughs> well, I know I want a little meter at all my meetings, right? It's like, you have spoken enough. <laughs> <laughs> have I had my 20%? Um, right as well okay so the other thing that I loved out of that article was um the it was a, a survey or a question of 64,000 people yeah, yeah and yeah, being a doctrine yeah so two-thirds of people agreed that the world would be a better place if women thought like men what's no, no, no. what men is thought like women men, men how could I get that the wrong way around so if <laughs> men thought like women what what are we flip. <laughs> totally what are we saying there well, it's again, I mean, you can ask people, right, you know, we can, we all know the stereotypes, right? Like, so whether every woman is this way or every man is this way, of course, that's not true. Yeah. But if you say on average, what are women like? And people will say, you know, they're more, uh, you know, sort of accommodating, more willing to take in other perspectives, more give and take, right? Um, and, and whatnot, cooperative. Um, people say that, yes, that is what the world needs more of. <laughs> not the things that we associate with masculinity. And that's not to say that we don't need assertiveness and risk-taking and all of those things, but because the world has largely been run by men 
for a very long time. And we all can look around us and see, you know, whether it's climate change or war or, you know, you name it. We say, we all know that we need to correct course. Mm-hmm. And what people are saying across the globe is that we need more of that feminine style of, of leadership. Laura, the final question I ask of everybody in the series is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like? And do you think that needs to change? Well, I mean, I love the word brave and I love feminine and I love leadership. So, I mean, brave is, is really about speaking your truth, right? And that truth sometimes bubbles up and just in terms of a, a gut reaction to, you know, that doesn't ring true to me. I don't, you know, that doesn't, you, you know, you don't know everything, right? So sort of this questioning the status quo and, you know, bravery is courage is like speaking through the heart, right? And um, and just thinking outside the box and not being, you know, sort of, um, you know, being an independent thinker and being willing to speak your truth. And that's not to say that there aren't sometimes consequences and costs mm-hmm. for doing so, but um, not, you know, sort of allowing that to, to stop you, right? Because we're, all, I mean, for me, that's like what living a life of meaning and purpose is about. And so I don't think it needs to change. I just think we need to grow that muscle, you know, and, and, and really keep it alive. Thanks so much for listening. If you've loved these conversations and you want to join in and be part of the Brave Feminine Leadership community and fill yourself up with inspiration, there are lots of ways you can find us. Our website is bravefeminineleadership.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook if you look at at Brave Feminine Leadership or find us on LinkedIn and connect and become part of an incredible community of senior professionals. Come and join us. Can't wait to see you there.